In October 2022, Eastern Promise got together with Norwich Research Park, Carter Jonas and Ridgen Partners to celebrate the key links between Cambridge and Norwich. To do this, we brought together a mightily impressive mix of scientists, business leaders and professionals from both cities for networking and to record a series of roundtables discussing the scientific, commercial and rail links between Norwich and Cambridge. I began on the platform of Norwich Station, talking to some of those who were about to join us on the trip. Hi, I'm Paul Cracknell, Executive Director of Strategy and Transformation with Norfolk County Council. And what are you looking forward to most about today? I think today is going to be a really exciting day to meet with colleagues, hear about the potential for Norfolk, Cambridge here in our region. Where, where do you think the real strengths are of the relationship between Cambridge and Norwich? I think the strengths between Cambridge and Norwich are obviously proximity. I think there's a, a, an opportunity there that to build on that scale. I think we have common platforms around innovation and academia uh, and some sector opportunities. Uh, and I think we both have that um, opportunity to provide growth uh, within rural counties. Paul, thank you very much. Brian Bush. Hello, what a pleasure to have you with us today. What are you looking forward to about this trip? Uh, it's my pleasure, Mike. Um, I'm looking forward to getting to know Cambridge a little bit better. I know it, but I want to know it a little bit better. I think good collaboration and networking between those two spaces, both of which offer excellent innovation and business opportunities, but in different spheres as well. And I think there's a lot we can learn from each other as well. Well, enjoy the journey. Thank you very much, Thank Brian. Andrew Nightingale, Eastern Academic Health Science Network. Thank you for joining us today. What are you looking forward to from this journey? I'm just looking forward to meeting like-minded people and helping that connection between Norwich and Cambridge. I think it's really important. I think if we can work together, I'm based in Cambridge, and uh, connect with all the people in the Norwich area in science and innovation, I think that's a really important thing. Thank you, and we've also got Mia Fontaine from the Sainsbury Laboratory. What, what, can I ask you the same question? What are you looking forward to getting out of this trip? Well, I was really excited to see that Roz, the CEO of the Norwich Research Park, was going to be here. So I was very excited to just hang out with people from the Norwich Research Park, because I'm quite new to the role, and it's been a very collaborative spirit. And I'm curious about the connection between Cambridge and Norwich. Well, I hope we'll, we'll uh, put some meat on the bones for you today. Thank you very much for joining us, and I really hope you enjoy it. Now, let's board the train and convene our first round table, looking at the rail links between Cambridge and Norwich. We are actually on the train to Cambridge, the 11.27. The day is finally here. Oh my God, I thought it would never come. Um, well, this is our first panel, uh, first round table of, of the journey. We're here with, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Andrew Summers, Director of Transport East. I'm Andrew Holdsworth, Assistant Director for Economy and Growth at Breckland District Council. And I'm Jonathan Denby, and I'm Head of Corporate Affairs for Greater Anglia. And it's your train we're on this morning, Jonathan. Uh, do you want to start by painting, us, uh, painting for us a pen picture? Um, in sound, if you would, uh, of the route and of this service and how it sort of how it's come to, came to be, because you have a very personal role in, in making this service happen. Yeah. So, sort of over the years, and you know, rail services have evolved and changed, and certainly sort of the late 80s and 90s, it come to pass that there was there was there was no direct train service between Norwich and Cambridge at all. So this corridor felt like a bit of a neglected one, rail-wise and and economically. Um, 
But we started to change all that around 2001-2 when we put together uh, a bid under what was then Anglia Railways to create a new direct service between Norwich and Cambridge with brand new trains. And uh, we succeeded in that bid and so from uh, September 2002 we introduced a brand new hourly Norwich Cambridge service with, with brand new trains. Um, and that's over the years has been a huge success. It's more than realised all the benefits we thought it would deliver. If we look at it increasingly in terms of passenger numbers, so the first year of that line, there were 380,000 passengers took the train. Uh, of which 40% say they would otherwise have travelled by road. We did research yeah. at the time, so it was, it was actually taking people off the A11 at the time. That was very clear that it was that case. And then over the 20 years, what was 380,000 passengers using that link is now over a million passengers a year. So in that 20 years, it absolutely virtually tripled in yeah. numbers of people using it. And in, and in sort of parallel with that, what we've seen is um, lots of sort of developments economically along the route, sort of, you know, strengthening of the of the collaboration between all the places on the route, so the, the primary places we serve, Wyndham, Athelborough, Thetford, Ely, and then a, from recent years, Cambridge North. Yes. The new station opened at Cambridge North, which is, which is really helpful because of all the sort of the businesses around there and Cambridge itself. And then one of the other things that we did sort of in recent years is as part of the, um, uh, the contract that sort of Greater Anglia won in 2016 for running services in this part of the world, um, the core part of that bid was replacing every single train in the network yeah. with brand new trains and, one, and by having more trains and brand new ones that's allowed us to then extend the Norwich Cambridge service in, in, in many cases through to, to Stansted so a lot of the trains we run now also go through to Stansted Airport as yeah. well um, and so we've got these wonderful you know, high quality new trains that we're set on now they're sort of yeah, air conditioned they've got plug points they've got Wi-Fi got tables so yeah, it's a really high quality service effectively sort of like an in-city quality train for a regional route and that's helping to drive growth. So what we've got is now is a really good building block from which to sort of to further develop this route, you know, going on into the future. So more and more people are already using it, which is great. We've got lovely new trains, which is generating even more growth. And that's, that's a, gr a great starting point now as we look ahead from which to sort of to generate even more collaboration and growth from businesses, from academia, from the scientific communities along the route. So when Cambridge South station comes to pass. Will this will this service then stop there as well? It will indeed. Because that really opens up then the biomedical campus, doesn't it? Precisely. And and that that of course is the entire purpose of the Cambridge South Station. Yep. It's specifically located right in the heart of all of those uh, facilities there and AstraZeneca have got their worldwide HQ there. So so Cambridge South is going to be a really sort of very sort of convenient stopping point um, for all of those sort of businesses and, and uh, organizations around there. So yes our trains then as soon as that sort of station opens which is expected to be around the sort of the middle of this decade um, that then the, the train these trains that run through to Stansted will stop at Cambridge South on their way through to Stansted Airport. Right Andrew can I ask you to just very briefly introduce Transport East for those who don't who, who may not know uh, who, what you do and and um, I shall read what I've written here and I can cut this out this is brilliant and um, you know the, the route we're on is one of Transport East's priority corridors and just introduce yourself and talk to the wider economic importance of this route, as, as Jonathan's kind of 
commented on. Absolutely. Uh, so Transport East is the single voice for transport investment in the east of England. We were formed by our political leaders, our business leaders, uh, across Norfolk, Suffolk, Essex, South End and Thurrock. And we work incredibly closely with our, our neighbouring um, subnational transport body, England's Economic Heartland, that covers Cambridgeshire as well. So it's all about partnership, having that single voice for investment. In the past, a lot of fragmented voices across the region doesn't cut through the government in terms of um, making that message comes coming through why we need to invest in the east so this is fundamentally different we've all come together um, the really good news uh, two weeks ago we launched our first regional transport strategy for the east so this partnership has created this case for investment a compelling case for investment the east of england region has a 73 billion pound economy and transport is absolutely fundamental to enabling that now in the strategy we've set out our priority movement corridors six of them across the east and this corridor that we're traveling on today is one of those so cambridge to norwich cambridge to ely but not just that bit within the east of England. We're not seeing ourselves as an island. We connect to the rest of the UK. We help drive a lot of the rest of the UK's economy in, in the east with our, with our powerful uh, sectors, with our ports, um, with our airports. So this is a fundamental movement corridor. So our strategy is looking at how we can help Jonathan and others to really improve the rail services, to help people and goods move along this line. Andrew Holdsworth, Breckland Council. Oh, sorry, I'm naming you in full to distinguish you from Andrew Summers. Um, Breckland has the largest number of stations on this line. I mean, what what do you see as, as the benefits coming coming from having those those and it being so easy for people in uh, Attleborough, in Thetford, um, and all those the sort of smaller ones in between to basically sort of have a very short journey to get on a train and and and, and, and uh, access work leisure in in and we're moving this is we're moving. What's the importance of those stations to the council? It is incredibly important. I, I think. The good thing about this investment is it's not only connecting two big um, endpoints in Norwich and Cambridge, it is all the places in between and all the different communities and, and businesses that that sustains. And the investment that, that Jonathan talked about, it's been incredibly important to sustaining some phenomenal growth locally, but also moving forwards as well. You mentioned two of our, our larger towns there, between them there's 9,000 homes that are being built out at the moment there, which will be transformational in terms of the, the size of um, those um, settlements uh, and also the kind of people we can attract, the kind of businesses that we can attract. And there's a commonality in there that all of them feature at the heart of the town, whether it's kind of the new town or, or, or the old town, a railway station. Um, one of the things we're really, really keen to do is to make sure as, as these towns move forward and we see them as being sort of models of how people want to kind of build and, and, and shape their lives in a kind of post-COVID economy, that the train station is at the heart of that. It, it sort of defines the urban urban centre and it defines the way that people can quite easily move around the town but then very easily move, move to different jobs and employment. One of the things that we're incredibly keen to make sure happens is we, we know there's a phenomenal amount of growth happening in Cambridge at the moment, similarly in Norwich, but there's, that can be sustained through its links down across the, the, the Cambridge Norwich Tech Corridor and there is growth and expansion space possible and it's brilliant to have a rail network that can sustain that, whether that's 
commuters coming into spaces to work in Bedford or in Alborough um, or sort of bigger production facilities that could link in, in bigger sites we've got like Snetterton. Absolutely and um, I think we went, as I said when, when I went to Thetford um, and we did a tour around Thetford we looked at the station and looked at that there's, there's a lot of legacy building there I mean Wyndham is, a, is an example of where those buildings have been pressed into, into a commercial use but what's the what's the mechanism for unlocking those stations I mean is, is, are they your buildings so they're, 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 they're owned by Network Rail uh -huh. but, but, but we as Greater Anglia have them on 99 year full repair and lease basis so um, the op the opportunity is is like like a lot of the things we're talking about today is about is about partnership. So how do you find the sort of the the funding to unlock sort of those those bits of currently underutilized space that no, have no operational rail role anymore, but could potentially be used for other purposes? So traditionally, sort of nobody has been sort of funded, if you like, to make use of those redundant spaces. The network Rail haven't, the train operator of the day hasn't, the local authority hasn't. But once you start getting that sort of collaboration towards a common aim of, of something different, potentially you can then unlock funding from particular sources, be that government schemes or, or, or other projects that might, that might come to pass, that then might help repurpose Part of a station for a different different use, yeah, um, and that, and that's that's the opportunity. Sometimes that happens out of its own uh, momentum because you get a, a local business or a local entrepreneur who wants actually to use the, the, yeah. the, 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 that that space anyway and approaches us and says, "Oh, can we lease it?" And away you go. Sometimes that's not the case, and so it's then, can you find those sources of funding to try and help you make it make it happen? Can I jump in? Yeah, yeah. Because so, I would absolutely agree with that. I think partnership. Speed to unlocking these sites because I think the way we like to look at it is there's a core sort of station envelope which in the ownership of Greater Anglia and, and with a relationship with Network Rail there's then what happens around it so in the context of Thetford we're looking at potential redevelopment of, of associated sites which are either in other parts of public sector ownership or private ownership and then there's how it all connects in how it connects into the road network and how it connects into the walking and cycling network um, and we're really pleased in, in Thetford so we're looking at some potential joint master planning with um, um, with Greater Anglia at the moment around a much bigger vision yeah. for that whole station size. Yeah, just I mean, coming on that yeah. that transport connectivity point, it's absolutely fundamental. There is effective uh, interchange at these stations. Um, if we are to achieve things like our decarbonisation objectives and it attracts people onto the railways as opposed to continuing to use private car, for example, for some of their, their trips, um, some of the barriers, and we did a survey of about 600 people in our strategy, we asked people in, in the east, now, what are the key things you think about when you make your trips? And it's about reliability, it's convenience. So the ability for them to be, as, uh, as Andrew said, to get the bus to the station, quick interchange onto the train, active travel routes, for example, or if, if they're out at, no, good car park. So really good connectivity to get to the train station is fundamental. The other element of that is it adds to the business case for the, the rail investment in the first place. Look at Crossrail. A huge amount of those business case um, benefits were from those wider areas around those stations that had greater accessibility. And that's the sort of thinking we need to bring together here, the partnership work on business cases to really make that, that value for money case for investment. I mean, if you look at just turning from from uh, legacy stations to, to, to newer ones, we covered Cambridge North and Cambridge South briefly. And if you look at the the, the, the interchange, the entries and exits for Cambridge North, an explosion. It's like nearly pre-pandemic, pre it nearly doubled. Uh, so that's amazing. I mean, could, 
you guys are obviously going to be no much better than I. What's the mechanism? And they're talking about Broadland uh, Park as a, as, a, as a station. I know it's been going on for some time now, but what's the mechanism for new stations? I mean, what's the and the time frame for sort of setting that up? I mean, I, it, like a lot of these things, it, 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 it depends on collaboration and partnership. I know that sounds a bit like obvious, but but, but that that's what it amounts to. So so what you need is that is to build a business case. You need to have somebody who's going to be in a position to fund it. So all, all of these station schemes, so train operators t are generally running contracts of five to ten years currently under the current way the structure works. So actually, the, for the train operator themselves, they're not going to see the return from that investment over the period of of their contract. So actually what you need is sort of like the long-term vision bit where you can get secure funding from other sources, be that a regional organisation or a government sort of uh, a government sort of funding scheme um, that allows you to take into account the long-term benefits, the wider benefits of those stations, the agglomeration benefits that Andrew was just talking about. And if you get that together, then you can build a business case for for actually doing the station investment. And that and we we can we can help with that in that we can help towards the business case and we can do the transport uh, service modelling. We can help show what sort of demand you might see if you then put the station in. We can we can actually be active players, even though even though we may not have that we will not be able to provide the, the funding grant to do it. We can be key agents in helping to make the case and working with others to then get these things over the line. And this is where I want to talk about the rail plan that the region is about to embark on. So we've, as a region, have looked rather enviously at the North and the Midlands in terms of the integrated rail plan that they've developed over, you know, over a decade, but have secured £96 billion worth of investment in that. In the East, we are now going through that same process. As I mentioned earlier, there has been quite a fragmented approach to, to rail development in the East. We are bringing that together into a single rail plan. We're working with Jonathan, um, we're working with Network Rail, Government, all of our partners um, to create a single rail plan with a vision in terms of the outputs that we want the network to deliver, the economic benefits we want it to deliver, um, the environmental benefits we want it to deliver. Um, Government has funded us to do this um, yeah. over the next year um, and we're going to be having a roundtable in Parliament in November um, with Jonathan and others and our leading MPs to get that up and running. But I think it's that, that, it's that partnership approach that has to get it over the line. We can't do this individually. No strangers to a roundtable in Parliament. Jonathan. And just to bear that out, so we're sat on here, fantastic new train. To transform the quality of service on this route, transform the capacity, transform the sort of the punctuality. You know, we, we, what we've got now is a fantastic rail service. We have never ever in the history of the railways in the East before ever had a complete replacement of the entire fleet. It's never happened. It's happening now yeah. and we're getting we're, we're most of the way through it. By this time next year our entire network, including the bits in the south, which are the last part of the transition, will have entirely new train fleet. But the only reason that is there is that from 2012 onwards, a number of us, of which Greater Anglia was at the heart, but, but a number of us got together to bat together for the eastern region. That hadn't happened before. Yeah. It had happened in the north. Um, it hadn't happened. We'd seen what was going on, and myself and some of the MPs and the LEPs and the local authorities, we all got together, collaborated and said, right, come on, it's our turn. It's really important. We're going to back together consistently to government. And, and, and all of us did that consistently over a period of time, Chambers of Commerce, LEPs, local authorities and, and others, uh, pushing, 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 making the case to government, which then meant that in 2014-15, when they were letting the contract for, for the train services in East Anglia, DFT and government, because they had it 
put at them through every channel, not just the DFT but the Treasury video, were then clear that sort of rolling stock and new trains was absolutely fundamental for our region. And so it was then placed as a higher priority in the contract. Bidders then bid against that. They then they put in, got more competitive bids. You got better value because new, new sort of um, manufacturers and others were getting in, sort of thinking, "Oh, there's an opportunity here." So therefore, when Abellio, who were our parent company anyway, then saw that, they put in an ambitious bid that said, "Actually, no, we'll replace everything," and made that strong case to government. And because government then saw one, it was a strong case, and two, they were still getting all the way through the process. Everybody in the region, just as Andrew says, saying, "Come on, it's our turn." And there's an economic case here, we ended up with this fantastic outcome. Yeah. And so it just underpins that sort of Andrew's point about that collaboration. Now, we were doing that then, having to try to, a number of us work together to try and collaborate and, and, and speak as a common voice. We didn't have a subnational transport body at that point. We do now, which is great. So that gives us extra sort of voice to, to put across. And it's worth remembering this provides solutions to the government as well in terms of some of their major national challenges so post-brexit international trade well in the east of england over half of the uk's freight containers come through our ports um, serving industries in the north in the midlands in london we are that gateway region um, but we don't have the, the rail network currently to reflect that role um, if we deliver for example the ely scheme it gets thousands of, of freight uh, lorries off the a14 saving millions of tonnes of, of carbon helps the net zero agenda. So there's so many things we're trying to push here that are in line and will support government objectives. And it's Absolutely. that partnership approach. I think, I think that's really important. You've got to make those connections between where the government wants to go and what you can offer. Because I think that's that's the way, in my experience, that you, you, you get those results. You, you draw those lines and you say, we can deliver your agenda and this is how we're going to do it. I thought, and this isn't just limited to transport, but I think it absolutely applies. But I think one of the key challenges we have, and have had historically, is long-term infrastructure planning is incredibly difficult. It is the temptation always is to look at fairly narrow time horizons, to look at a five-year business plan. Wonder why. But I think the thing we can't accept is to put it in two difficult parts because we have to plan for housing growth, for employment growth yeah. over a 40-year time horizon. But to do that effectively, you need to be able to put in the infrastructure in advance and need to know properly about what, what rail requirements to look like. And the great thing we have here is, is we have seen, we have evidence, and we're sat on it, the success of having a really successful Norwich to Cambridge train service. Yes. So, so we are coming from something that says, look, if you invest on it, in it, this is what you will get. We have had 20 years of success on this route, starting off with two brand new two-carriage trains, really successful. Yeah. By 2010, we're at a point where we had to swap those for three-carriage trains because it was being so successful and then when, we were, when the when the contract was let again in the middle of the last decade we then we've got new trains and now we're on lovely four four carriage trains and so what what that allows us to do with government is to say oh not not just say oh well you need to invest in us because actually we've been we've you know we, we, we've not had our fair share actually we, 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 you need to invest in us because actually you can see the evidence here yeah, that when exactly. you do that, exactly. this is what it gives. So if you invest even more, there's opportunities to do even more. So, you know, for example, you know, we've got a great hourly service that is, that is brilliant, but in the future, if you're going to get even more people off the A11, even more people sort of, you know, using rail instead of road, actually you, the vision would be you'd want to go to a half hourly service. Yeah. But to do that, you need to unlock Ely, as Andrew's already mentioned, and you'd need to unlock the sort of the Trout Swing Bridge at, at, at Norwich because yeah. those are 
current constraints, which without which, if you don't if you don't sort of modify those and create extra capacity, you couldn't run a half-hourly service. So yeah. it's those sort of things where again that collaboration of that vision is about then creating the infrastructure that allows us to do even more. Well, we've just arrived at Wyndham, where, but we will we will, we will we will not change anything around at this point. We're gonna we're gonna continue now. Um, East West Rail. Andrew, where, where, where does that stand? Because I've, I, I was re trying to read around it and it, it's interesting trying to get to the bottom of where that stands, especially Grant Shapp's comments during the Conservative leadership campaign. Where is that current, currently, and in particular the extension of that sort of beyond, beyond Cambridge to the east? Yep. So in the, the Prime Minister's recent growth plan, East West Rail was mentioned in, in the plan as a scheme they want to progress. I guess the, the question is what elements of that are described in the plan um, and we, we, we need further detail on that. From the East's perspective, Transport East has created um, an Eastern Board of East West Rail, so chaired by uh, Councillor Alexander Nicholl of, of Suffolk um, and members of that board include Jonathan and Transport East and all of the, the local authority politicians along that route. Our goal is to make sure we make the case for the eastern section of East West Rail. Now we are supportive of all the work taking place in the central section because we want the connectivity yeah. to the rest of the country. Yeah. Imagine through services from Norwich and Ipswich through Cambridge and then beyond yeah. um, into, into Oxford and the West Country. It allows this corridor to grow. It allows people to be attracted to live on the corridor and use rail as, as, as that key point. So we are advocating hard and it's part of the, the rail plan that I talked about that east-west connectivity will be absolutely fundamental. But we need the central section um, between Bletchley and Cambridge to be delivered. We need Cambridge South to be able to accommodate through services as well. Um, but we are pushing hard on that. But then when we get to the eastern section, we need our trains to be able to run quickly along this route that we're on now mm -hmm. from Norwich through to Cambridge to provide high quality um, long distance services. And what, and what, and what, you, what we need to try and do is, is, is sort of make sure that sort of for both Cambridge Norwich and Cambridge Ipswich you then put in the infrastructure that allows you to run a more frequent service mm -hmm. um, and, and that underpins everything. So if you can get the infrastructure and also the collaboration to then make sure that we can get the sort of the, the government support to allow whoever's running the contract to run half hourly trains in the future because obviously you'd need extra trains to do that and you need to, to, to uh, make sure that that was uh, costed into the operation of the contract. Um, but you, but if you get to, if the other thing is if you get to half hourly you're in such a strong position because whilst clearly our, our vision would be is to try and get some, some direct services through from the east-west through right all the way through to Ipswich and all the way through to Norwich without changing. If you've got a level of frequency that's between our core regional sort of hubs in terms of Norwich, Ipswich, Cambridge, that's half hourly, obviously we've already got it between Norwich and Ipswich now, but if you've got it from, from, from Norwich to Cambridge and Ipswich to Cambridge, that means that even if the core of the east-west rail service ended up being Cambridge to Oxford, if you've got half hourly trains from Ipswich yeah. to Norwich, as soon as, you, as soon as you get to Cambridge, you've got hardly any time to, to wait to, to change, even Absolutely. if you are changing. Yeah. So, so you get you get that huge amount of connectivity. So almost like you 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 have the vision to like to get the core stuff in first, and then try and add in whatever you can with some with some through trains around.
around the edges as well. But you get a lot of the benefits just from that. That frequency element makes a huge difference to people's propensity to use the train. You know, every time you sort of increase frequency, you suddenly draw in a whole set of people. Even, even on yeah. your most, I mean, these aren't our most rural routes, but even on our most rural routes, like East Suffolk Line or Norwich Sheringham, once you get over a core threshold of frequency, suddenly a whole set of people who before were just have gone, oh, I'm not so sure, a rail's not convenient enough for me, I can't, I can't yeah, exactly. risk, risk being stuck waiting around for an hour and a half. Once you get over hourly and on some routes or half hourly on others, suddenly you're drawing a whole set of extra people who find, then find rail services convenient and they'll use it and they'll change their behaviours as a result. Right, I'm just checking where we are. Are we... Are we, are we all right? Yeah, yeah. Skills. Do you know how often we are from Attleborough now? Oh, probably uh, within the next five minutes. Okay. So, um, well, I mean, just just very quickly, um, in terms of ticketing, I, I, I looked at a study called from McKinsey that said uh, three horizons to boost rail modal share. Uh, restore travel to pre-COVID levels. I don't think I think you've probably considered that actually. Um, grow passenger rail by better operations again. Uh, but it talks about ticketing and mobility as a service applications. What work are you doing? Just very briefly, because we've got to sort of switch to the next one. But what work are you doing in terms of improving, like one single ticket in terms of accessing transport in Cambridge, transport in Norwich? So, so the, I think there's a, there's a number of things we're doing in the industry to try and improve ticketing. One sort of to, to um, so on the one hand, sort of. Um, people want simplicity, but they also want fares and tickets that suit their individual journeys. So there's an interesting balance there about how much simplicity you have versus how much um, variety of fares that suit people with very differing needs. So we're trying to get that balance right. So for example, in the last uh, 18 months, industry has put in a new flexible season ticket. So that again, for people who aren't traveling in five days a week, that's a more flexible option. And that's, again, that, I think that's just the start of us as an industry moving towards more varied ticketing. There's many more tickets already that you can get on a smart ticketing, which again is easier, more tickets you can buy on your phone. I think, I think where we need to be going, and this is about, again, collaboration, vision, working with government, if you like, is we need to sort of to get the, the funding framework behind it mm -hmm. in a position that allows you to do more of that straightforward, just being able to add it on, 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 on a car type thing, that sort of single ticket, and also more of, the, 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 those, those sort of integrated approaches like you've got say in some of the big urban areas already yeah. in London where a bit like you know, the Oyster example for example where, you've, where you then have one ticket that gets you on rail, bus, the convenience element is something that definitely drives usage even sometimes if actually you know the pricing has gone up slightly with it so in London some of the Oyster pricing did go up a bit but actually the sheer convenience of that inter-available ticket just meant you got this real growth in usage. Well, Andrew Summers, Transport East, Andrew Holdsworth, Breckland Council, and Jonathan Denby, Greater Angler. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen, for your time. Please do enjoy the rest of the day. My huge thanks to Jonathan Denby, Head of Corporate Affairs at Greater Anglia, to Andrew Summers, Strategic Director at Transport East, and Andrew Holdsworth, Assistant Director for Development and Growth at Breckland Council. Next week, we'll be looking at the commercial links between Norwich and Cambridge with Nova Fairbank, Chief Executive of Norfolk Chambers of Commerce, William Rook, partner in Carter Jonas at Cambridge, and Nigel Cushion, Chief Executive Officer of Nelson Spirit. Please do join me again for that.
Regular listeners will recall that Eastern Promise recently rode the region's rails in association with the Norwich Research Park, Ridgen Partners LLP and Carter Jonas to celebrate the links between Cambridge and Norwich. Last week, a panel of rail industry experts and local authority officials shared their belief in the importance of the Cambridge-Norwich route and set out a potential route map to improved services and rejuvenated stations. This week, I'm delighted to share the next panel, focused on the business links between the two cities and introduced by yours truly. Welcome to our, our business roundtable. Um, I'm absolutely thrilled to have you here. You introduce yourself, the guru. The guru. Oh dear. I, I knew everything at the, uh, at the nearly everything at the Chamber of Commerce. Of course, of absolutely. And you are? I'm Nova Fairbank. I'm the chief executive for Norfolk Chambers. Who else? Uh, morning, William Rook. Uh, I'm a partner at Carter Jonas in Cambridge. Uh, we're a property consultancy. And we have you to thank for the for, for looking after us when we get to Cambridge, which is we're really grateful for. And Nigel Cushion, uh, founder of Nelson Spirit. We are leadership mentoring. Absolutely. You are, I, I think I've described you in the past as the historian of human leadership, which a lot of people seem to say is very apt. A true guru. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Take any you give us. Now, Nova, I'll start with you. What, what is the value of the Cambridge-Norwich corridor to businesses in Norfolk? It gives us diversity, it gives us opportunity, um, it shows the level of collaboration we can have between the different areas in the, re uh, in the East. As, as a region, we often get overlooked, they only see Cambridge, but actually Cambridge is very much supported by all of the regions around it. Norfolk is an amazing place with some amazing businesses in it. We have brilliant um, universities, um, first class research, world leading in life sciences, Agritech, we have an all energy coast, so actually we really should be looking to work together for the benefit of the whole region. Absolutely. William, what's the view from Cambridge? Um, because we hear a lot about the Oxcam arc um, and where that is we, we, we do not know, perhaps you can enlighten us maybe. Uh, and in coming as I do from the world of politics initially, uh, it, it, Cambridge sometimes come, is, is characterised as, a, as, a, as a, a walled citadel, if you like. So what, what's, what's your view of, of, of the, 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 the corridor? Well, it's interesting that you say that, Mike, because if you live if in Cambridge and you work in Cambridge, you sometimes see Norwich as being a bit at the end of the road. And I think that's the wrong perception. So you've got a walled insular city view from Norwich looking back, and then we're looking up going, well, that's the end of the road. But that's the wrong way to look at it, isn't it? There's a lot going on between Cambridge and Norwich, and there's a lot of crossover between the two cities. And it really feels like there's untapped potential there. I mean, if you look at the two universities, for example, University of East Anglia, University of Cambridge, they've both got great graduate retention rates. And let's try and cross-pollinate. Let's make these guys, let's talk to each other. Let's unlock skills. It's about thought leadership. It's about peer-to-peer -peer knowledge sharing. And that is something that, as the two regions, we can do very well. I, I often think of it, uh, I've come to think of it like a, like a rope that's made up of lots of strands. There are lots of individual projects connecting Norwich and Cambridge. And it's, I think a lot of we need to weave that into something a lot stronger, a lot, a lot more durable. Nigel, you are, uh, uh, you've a very keen sense of the history 
of these relationships. And uh, you're a very regular user of the route we're on right now. What's what's your take? Yeah, well, um, born in Norwich, love Norwich, um, and I love Cambridge. So this this is a this is a great treat for me. This is like a, you know. A day treat you know a day out um, yeah interesting and this is in the new economy we all face which is the global economy I think it's now opening up fantastic opportunities um, I come down to Cambridge at least twice a month it's a fantastic trip on the train it works really well um, I've got uh, mentees in Norfolk but uh, I've got a couple of mentees in London and they come up from London and we meet in Cambridge and it works really really well going back uh, five years ago wouldn't have got that work you know now we meet in Cambridge it works well for both of us and uh, and they do great Chelsea buns so uh, another advantage <laughs> well we've, we've, we've just had on the rail panels a very interesting conversation uh, which I don't know if, how much you know we heard you sat just across the way from us but about the the potential of the route and the, the, it, it's not just about the train or the station it's about the the the, the the economic benefits that spill out from that. I mean, if you look at just something like Cambridge North and pre-pandemic, the entries and exits almost doubled from its in the year after its opening, which is which is incredible. Um, just talk briefly about investment zones, which is a, a big thing that the, the current government, uh, whenever you're listening to this in the future, the, the current government of Liz Truss has, has, has announced, and, and Norfolk and Suffolk are very much at the, in the vanguard of that. Um, I start with knowing as I go around the, the the table. What's what's your what's your take on what that's going to unlock? Is it still uncertain or is it? It's all about opportunity. My understanding is the investment zones will simplify things like planning. It gives us another string to actually attract further investment into the region. If you look at the diversity of the business community across the eastern region, then the opportunity to grow the economy, to contribute further to UK PLC, is only going to be supported and benefited by having an investment zone. William, the it, it, it's it's fairly common knowledge that obviously Cambridge has a green belt, and perhaps you could just talk briefly about what uh, that the impact that has on. We know that there's a, a shortage of lab space. That's incredible. The, the demand is far far as dripping supply. To a lesser extent, the same is true as office space, which is obviously you, you, you're interested in both of these things. Is something like an investment zone? Is that going to sort of turn, turn Cambridge's attention? when it's so close to say, aha, well, we may be landlocked. So, so one, of the, one of the things with Cambridge is that it is an internationally recognised city for investment in life sciences and tech. And I think one of, the, one of the advantages of working closely with Norwich is that we can start to spread the investment that's coming into Cambridge up the line towards Norwich. And we don't need the government to do that for us. I mean, Cambridge has got a lot of entrepreneurial companies spinning out of the university in the same way that Norwich has. And if we start to work together more closely, we can capitalise on that joint knowledge pool uh, and help help build, you know, develop better uh, better infrastructure. I mean, what's from your point of view? Before I just come on to Nigel, what's the what's the impact of that green belting? Because we hear a lot about it. We assume that it's sort of a a bit of a, noose, a green noose around Cambridge's neck, but what is the real impact? Real impact is that there is not enough land to co accommodate the, the amount of pipeline demand that's coming into the city. Sorry, no, you want to jump in? But that's where the uh, A11 corridor Indeed. and the Cambridge Norwich Tech corridor comes in. There's an opportunity for Cambridge to spread beyond their green belt, for Norwich to meet them in the middle, and you look at the businesses that are coming up along there. There's so much opportunity. That 
that we can put together based on the infrastructure we've already got. So we're already sat on a brilliant service with the trains and the rail that's only going to improve if we can unlock things like the Hawley Junction and the Ely Junctions. And obviously I'm from Norfolk, I want the Trans um, Swing Bridge sorted as well. But you then look at the duelling of the A11 and the opportunity that's already created, the land down that route, we need to look at for investment because that absolutely links Cambridge and Norwich and it allows Cambridge to spread outside of their green belt and it allows Norwich to really spread further down. So the, the synergy between the two regions is, is huge. The opportunity is massive. Uh, Nigel, as the, very much the custodian of someone, of the, 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 the legacy of a man who knew all about seizing and taking opportunities, how we, we've heard a lot on the previous panel about partnership working and, 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 and same, same again here. How do, how do we go about forming them and making them successful and seizing the opportunities that are before us? Well, I think we're doing that today. It's, it's about meeting people. Um, thank you, thank you, Mike. Um, I think I think I think the man you were alluding to is Nelson, and I, I think his uh, I think his commentary would be, "Don't wait for the Admiralty." You know, if we, we we've got good ships, we've got good people. Let's get closer. Let's work together, and let's make it happen. I, I agree with, with William. You know, I think it's um, there can be a bit of a victim mentality of kind of waiting for the government to kind of do stuff. You know, and I think we've got so many fantastic businesses in in Norfolk and in Cambridgeshire. Uh, let's work together and let's take our initiative to the government you know and, let, and let's let's tell them what we need absolutely I mean I'm a, I'm a very big advocate and I've asked this question a lot of times of people like George Freeman MP uh, and I'll be asking the same when I talk to Daniel Zeichner uh, next month the Cambridge MP which is what are the levers that are in our hands that we don't wait for Whitehall we don't wait we can arrange these things for ourselves and a lot of that will be hopefully unlocked in the city deal however that ends up looking but what what levers uh, are in our hands for businesses and what would you like levers would you like to see handed over to us if i can torch the metaphor yet further the biggest lever we can pull is to start shouting about the brilliance of the region. We are too good at not saying very much about how good we are. Cambridge is a prime example of what can be done when you actually talk the region up, talk the opportunity up. As a business community, we are very good at going, it's all right, we'll just be quiet, we're over here. Actually, we should be totally shouting about our place, really put Norfolk on the map. I mean, this is this is a really good example of again when I was I was in Cambridge and the the, the interview I've just put out with a chap called Sam Goddard, a company called Lab Motive. They do sort of remote software for sensors for uh, infrastructure, water. Um, and I sort of he's one of these businesses quietly doing trading globally, all over the world. And what I asked him, what are your connections? What conversations are you having within the region? Oh, not that many, really. And it's we're looking at Mike, we're looking at this as a kind of Norwich does this, Cambridge does this, Ipswich does that. You know, you can bring other cities into it, but really we should look at it as we're one region, we're a single cluster, so we should be moving as one, not trying to pull in different directions. Each city's got its own specialities, Norwich with the plant science and the green agritech, Cambridge has got more of the biotech, the farmer. But there's no reason why those can't be seen as they shouldn't be competing. They should be working together. Norwich sorry. I was gonna say Norwich has got the with Norwich Research Park, for example, and UEA you've already got the capabilities there to be able to grow. Yeah, absolutely. And the land to grow it on. Absolutely. And we've got, you know, 
we've got uh, we've got the land to say house uh, people who who are looking at Cambridge uh, house prices and and going a bit pale, uh, especially now and um and and thinking at well actually we've got services like this we're about I think we're where are we arriving Thetford I think, and uh, you know this is a perfect place on which to jump jump on the train, and and you know you you're in Cambridge very quickly and you've especially with Cambridge North and Cambridge South coming up online. You've got phenomenal access then to Cambridge. Yeah, you've got, you've got Heffel Innovation Park as well on or near here. Uh, you've got that near 11 corridor. Wyndham's got its own business parks as well. So it's not just named Norwich and Cambridge. You've got a number of towns along that route who can benefit from joined joined up approach. You look. You can look at Snetterton. All of that's coming through as well. So there's a huge opportunity. If you drive down the A11 corridor, you're already seeing the logistics companies coming in because they're seeing the benefit of that that key route in in and out of two very big centres. I know in your last round of conversations you were talking about the fact that the majority of freight comes into our region. So our transport links are really important uh, to our future opportunities. But equally so, it's that collaboration piece. It's allowing the businesses to talk. I mean, it's, it's Norfolk Chamber's prime mission, connecting, supporting, giving voice to every business. That's all about collaboration. It's all about working together for the good of the region. I'd just like to pick up the point about, uh, about confidence. Um, uh, last year I did some work in Canada and we were talking about you know um, business across across the, across the Commonwealth and um, uh, you know Britain was mentioned and uh, people where do you come from you know and I, and I was trying to describe where I came from and people went okay yeah yeah Norwich Cambridge yeah they're, they're great places to do business in so this was the pers perspective from people in the Commonwealth yeah you know and often I, I pick up Nova's point there about kind of maybe we should have a bit more confidence about yeah. who we are and what we're about and actually work together with that confidence the other point I'd make is I love the idea that you introduced Mike of unlocking the door you know with government and government one of government's habits all governments are they have a door and there's a key and then we have to fight over who has the key yeah you know so actually the answer is we all work together and unlock the door together mm. I think from from my again from my experience that there is there is a, a, a desire in central government to be presented with things that that you know address their policy issues and and we we, we want to be able to support things but we you know there's as you say, I think there is a lack of confidence. I've, I've seen this, this this before, where we've sort of gone so far, but kind of almost lost our collective nerve in terms of bidding for improvements. Your other challenge on, on bidding into government for funding to make improvements is it tends to be quite short term. For the majority of the business community, they're looking for certainty, they're looking for stability, and something that you've got to, to put together and bid for in, in the space of a, a very short uh, piece of time and deliver in the next six months to a year is not always going to be where the business community is going to see the benefit. They're looking for something that's going to give you 5, 10, 15, 20 years longevity because then that gives the business community further confidence to put more investment in themselves rather than just that little bit of funding. It's not all about getting funding from central government. We have to do things for ourselves. We would see national funding as priming the opportunity but it's got to be a longer-term opportunity to give businesses the confidence to invest further. How, William, would you advise uh, Norwich and Norfolk, uh, Suffolk and, and, uh, and Ipswich as well to an extent, how would you advise them to start the process, or, or so up-tempo on the process of engagement uh, and sort of, you know, sometimes 
he feels like a bit of a, 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 a Cambridge feels like a debutante at a ball, <laughs> and it's it's got its dance card of partners from Oxford and Edinburgh and, and all over the world, and and the uh, and uh, Norfolk and Suffolk feel like they're in the corner, sort of really nervously, uh, you know. Working up their courage to come and speak for yourself, Mike. Oh, well, that's obviously, I'm, 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 I'm come on, confidence, project, project. Back to my days as a lawyer. It does come back to this issue of confidence. I think Nigel's got a point, you know, because Cambridge, um, the ecosystem that's there, the city physically isn't big enough to hold it. What, what you know, the, the growth potential that it's got. So, where do you look outside this? Let's take life science as an example. I'm sorry to keep coming back to that, but it's really popular in Cambridge, very fashionable subject, a lot of demand, but they can't. Um, um, they can't design, um, test, and produce these um, the, the work they're doing in Cambridge. It needs to be spread into the wider region. So, for example, if you take a pharmaceutical trial, they will uh, the, the scientists that are working on those drugs will come up with a solution, but they want to test it, and then they want to produce it. They can't produce it in Cambridge. So they look outside, and they don't want to be in China or in Poland or anywhere else. They want to be you know, an hour away. So if you look at that as an example, an hour of Cambridge takes in quite a lot of space where currently there's untapped resource, untapped potential and if you hit you know, Norwich at the other end of the line it's well placed to draw on that, you know, that ecosystem and drawing it out in this direction. Well what I'm hearing loud and clear from this conversation is, is some of my favourite words which I come back to time and again opportunity, potential, confidence, Nigel, I, 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 forgive me, I, I don't know if I've already sort of asked you to this. How do we go about boosting that confidence? You, you know, uh, we've talked about seizing the opportunity, but it's, if it's confidence is the issue, how would we all, I mean, we'll go round and round just as a... As well, I, I, I think confidence is, is infectious, as, as enthusiasm is. And if you meet people who are doing great work, and there's people doing great work in businesses and in charities and in public service all over, when you meet people who are doing great work, you get confidence because they inspire you. So it's about bringing people together and actually including people. I think one of the dangers of engaging government, you tend to have some traditional bodies who do it and they do it well, but we don't tend to carry everybody with us, you know? And there's huge bit number of businesses all over the Eastern region who kind of not involved in the conversation. They're not included, you know? So by including everybody, bringing everybody with us, getting people to meet each other, getting people to be inspired. This is a great day because we're meeting people we've never met before. And we go, wow, you're doing that. And that you makes you feel good. It makes you feel proud to be part of the adventure. And then your next, com next conversation is, how can we help? How can we help you do what you do? And suddenly the game has raised. If you look at what they did in Silicon Valley, it was all about co-location. It's about bringing brilliant people together, investors, architects, designers, engineers. They work next to each other and they inspire each other. If you're in a place on your own at home, difficult to be inspired. If you meet inspiring people, that's how we do it. Well, you can't stop that. Thank you, Nova Fairbank, Chief Executive of Norfolk Chambers of Commerce, William Rook, Carter Jonas, and our host later on today, Nig the legendary Nigel Cushion of Nelson Spirit. Thank you ever so much. I've really enjoyed it. It's, I'm, I'm feeling that confidence now. <laughs> Nigel, thank you very much. And happy birthday. Thank you very much. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well done. Huge thanks go to Nova Fairbank, Chief Executive of Norfolk Chambers of Commerce, partner at Carter Jonas William Rook, and Chief Executive of Nelson Spirit Nigel Cushion.
In early October 2022, Eastern Promise, with amazing support from Norwich Research Park, Ridgen Partners and Carter Jonas, enticed an amazing group of scientists, experts and thinkers to join us in a unique networking event with an unusual location, the 11.27am train from Norwich to Cambridge. And this wasn't just a chance for them to meet and chat. It was an opportunity for Eastern Promise to listen to their views on the physical, commercial and scientific links connecting Cambridge and Norwich. Over the last few weeks, we've heard from Greater Anglia, Transport East, Breckland Council, Norfolk Chambers of Commerce, Carter Jonas and Nelson Spirit about the scale of the opportunity linking the two cities and the need for Norwich to be bolder in its approach to the Cambridge ecosystem. And now it's time to hear from the research and development community. From Fiona Lettis, Pro Vice-Chancellor for Innovation at the University of East Anglia. From Belinda Clark, Director of Agritech E. From Douglas Cuff, Vice President of Scientific Property Developer, IQHQ. And Ros Bird, Chief Executive of Anglia Innovation Partnerships, the company that runs the Norwich Research Park. Over to Ros Bird. Okay, so um, we're all on the train together, heading off to Cambridge from Norwich, and we picked up some people along the way, and we've got some people on the train with us from the Cambridge cluster, and it's been such good fun introducing people that haven't met before and who can definitely do some good work together in the future. And Mike is currently talking to the Look East cameras, which is great. So I'm Ros Bird. I'm the uh, Chief Exec of Anglo Innovation Partnership with a sort of science park management entity for Norwich Research Park. And I did used to work in Cambridge as well. I've loved every minute of working in Cambridge and, and now in Norwich. Fiona, do you want to say? Fiona Lettis and I'm Pro Vice-Chancellor for Research and Innovation at the University of East Anglia or UAA, UBA as we like to be known and um, in that role I look after the research that we do across the university and also our, on the innovation side our non-academic partnerships, our business relationships and the way we commercialise and make our, use, our research useful and usable by others. I'm the director of Agritech E, which is a membership network organisation bringing together the farmers and growers, the tech developers, the researchers and that whole innovation ecosystem to get new tech, new ideas out onto farms. Now personally, my whole career has been split, well, my, my whole education has been split between Norwich and Cambridge. Norwich girl by birth did some uh, time in Cambridge, back to Norwich for a PhD, so I've been up and down this, uh, this Norwich to Cambridge route many, many times in my life. And then we've got another guest with us from Cambridge and, and further afield you'll be able to tell by yeah, his accent. So, uh, my name is Douglas Cuff, I'm the VP of UK Real Estate for IQHQ. Uh, we're a life science developer, uh, developing uh, research space for life science companies in key clusters uh, in the US and we have our first opportunity in Cambridge on the Science Park and uh, I've known Roz for about a decade when I was on the team that bought Granite Park from Roz and her team. So it's uh, what I find really fascinating and, and what I really love about working in Cambridge, you know, is 
you bump into people all the time, and everyone knows everyone, and the network is so tight, and it's not just Cambridge, it does include Norwich, it includes wider areas around it. And there's more opportunities for us now, from this moment onwards, to extend that network and encourage more and more networking between us, and yeah. develop those opportunities, and, and inspire each other by our difference. But I think, Fiona, if we could come to you first, and talking from your experience of collaboration that already goes on between Cambridge and Norwich, what, what, what? What's happening? At UEA, we've worked with Cambridge colleagues at, at the University in Cambridge um, on lots and lots of different interesting, exciting projects. We've worked across medicine and health. We've worked across the arts and humanities, social sciences, and actually, um, in a, on average, in a year, our, our academics at UEA, working with Cambridge academics, will publish around 150 to 200 papers that are co-authored and collaborative. Um, research and also uh, we work with them on funded grants as well and we've done over the last 10 or so years probably about 20 million pounds worth of collaborative grants so it just shows some of the scale of activity and collaboration that already happens between UEA and Cambridge universities but there's lots of opportunities to do much more of course yeah and you were saying about how those collaborations come about it's quite organic isn't it where people meet each other and for academics it's about you want to work with the best people in your field wherever they might be in the world and um, so yes we're just really excited to work with whoever's doing those projects that we're excited about and with um, um, Cambridge University there's a lot of collaborations around the health area in particular um, so that's a real strength there um, we've also worked with them on more applied projects around the agritech space and I think Belinda can perhaps talk a little bit about the Ceres project where we've worked together with Cambridge and and agritech East E as well yeah, so uh, obviously this geography is, as we can see, going past on the train. Lots of fields, lots of straw bales. We're just seeing as we go past, a bit of sugar beet. So this is very much the kind of crucible, the breadbasket, if you like, of uh, growing and production, but also amazing research and technology development. And really the heart of that is between Cambridge and Norwich. And uh, Fiona mentioned the Ceres project, which is a collaboration between uh, the University of Cambridge, University of East Anglia, and actually our colleagues just over the border into Lincolnshire, still the wider east, uh, to help develop uh, investments, entrepreneurial thinking uh, into commercial application onto farm. There's also uh, a, a large cohort of PhD students around agri-robotics and engineering. We know there's not very many people that we see out here hoeing sugar beet. A lot of that is all automated now. And it's really the, the development of artificial intelligence, the School of Computer Science at UEA, the thinking there that's being applied now alongside the biology and the chemistry that's traditionally underpinned agricultural innovation. And from my point of view, um, coming from working in Cambridge, going away, coming back to work at Norwich Research Park, I just think there's so much opportunity, as you were saying, Fiona, for even more collaboration. And what I, what I absolutely love is bringing people together that you think, God, oh, if they knew each other, that'd be a powerful combination. And, and it is about inspiring each other by your difference and the things you're working on. And, and, it's, and it's also about looking for opportunities to collaborate. And I think some of the people that are on the train today know loads of companies that ought to then start engaging with each other. And they are doing it already and researchers are doing it, but we can do so much more, I think, of collaborate. And I was really excited when I heard that, that Doug was coming back to Cambridge because we know each other well and I know what a good guy is. And I was thinking there's some things that we can do, Doug, and we haven't even thought of them yet. Yeah, but you know, like you want... I was saying before, like, 
in my background is you know spending a lot of time in Kendall Square, and you look at Kendall Square being as ground zero for life science. And where's that in the U.S.? In Cambridge, Massachusetts. Okay, yeah. Yep. And you know, next to MIT, uh, and everyone talks about how there's a collision of technologies there, uh, and that happens in Cambridge as well. But the one thing that Kendall Square doesn't have is the agritech piece, and 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 having access to land and farms, which I think is really really interesting. And when you think of healthcare on a broader spectrum, you put food in your body and you put drugs in your body, and it's all part of the same ecosystem, the human body ecosystem. So it really is something that I think that Kendall Square lacks, which is I think it's a massive opportunity that Cambridge and Norwich has together, uh, uh, which I think could should spur on more more opportunity. But I think the problem is no one knows about it quite yet. And I think events like this spur that and allow that to scream from the rooftops about how, how amazing and interesting it really is, which hasn't happened historically in the past, at least not for me. Yeah. I was going to say, Rose, you should probably talk a little bit about the different entities on the Norwich Research Park and how we yeah. all can collaborate uh, yeah, absolutely. at Norwich, but also then use that expertise to help yeah. bridge across to Cambridge. Yeah, exactly. So I think that the thing about Norwich Research Park, and so Anglo Innovation Partnership is like the science park entity, as I've said, um, but the, 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 the main thing about... We shall shortly arrive at Ely. We're shortly arriving at Ely. Oh, I love Ely. We're going to get the cathedral. That's where I was born. Please take the Birmingham train and change at Leicester for Oliver's connections. For those who travel via the East Coast Main Line to destinations in the north of England, uh, take the train to Birmingham and change at Peterborough. So we've gone through Soham then, have we? On that way? Oh, that way. I feel like this is a very civilized version of Claire Balding's uh, uh, rambling. <laughs> you know, in, instead of walking, you just to sit and, and enjoy the countryside. Yes, it's a new radio four program. Isn't it? <laughs> I'm up for it if you guys. Are. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? not on the train with, with yeah. yeah. <laughs> on the train with innovation. Yeah. <laughs> I was just talking about Norwich Research Park to say that um, we've got four research institutes, a university and a hospital all on one campus, all sharing a vision for the development of the whole of Norwich Research Park, maximising all the research and innovation, technology, technology platforms for societal benefit. Um, and the job that my role is to help add value to all of that work, campus perspective. The four research institutes, the university and hospital are, share a vision at the campus for working together for societal benefit, attracting uh, businesses of all kinds that want to come, be based there, benefit from the skills pool, benefit from collaboration with researchers. The point is that we can inspire Cambridge by what we're doing. We can raise awareness of all of the activity. Some of it is not well known. The actual environment. It's a yeah. beautiful campus, you know, tucked in Norwich, which I think is also... Beautiful city. Yeah, exactly. You yeah, know? there's lots of key attributes, and I think it's making the most of that and raising awareness. And for my view is that um, we need to raise awareness of the opportunities, of the science, of the technology, and then those people maybe in Cambridge or London or further afield who say, I didn't realise that is what's happening, that I need to be there. And that's the reason we want people to come, because they'll benefit from the science and the technology, the expertise and the skills pool. Um, and that, yeah, that's, the, that's the thing that we need to work on over the next few years, and that's, that's my, my job to do that. I'm just a bit inspired by the sign, uh, see it, say it, sorted, and I know that's in a safety uh, context, but actually in, in the context of what we're talking about, about collaboration, see it, 
talk about it, yeah. sort it. Yeah, so absolutely. I'm kind of quite inspired by that in, in a, a different context around forging collaborations. You're right, Belinda, and I think it is about just doing it sometimes. Yeah. And maybe the point is that this train journey today is about us taking action rather than just talking about working together. And I think it's because the people now that are around the table, literally on this train, and the ones that are in the roles that where you can make a difference, we're, we're doers, we're people that love the strategy but want to see something happen and that's what I'm excited by taking action and doing things like inviting Doug and saying come and join us and meet meet up and us all taking the time out of our busy schedules to be here today to demonstrate that we are serious about this and things are going to happen we are, we are going to make a difference I want to um, come on to um, Mike's next question and he says um, that he wants to he wanted to read out um, something from a UKRI report entitled The UK's Research and Innovation Infrastructure, Opportunities to Grow Our Capability. And the quote is, many challenges or questions can only be addressed by bringing together unique combinations of partners and expertise from across academic, business, government and, and, the, and nations. Academia, sorry, business, government and nations. Our aim is to build a more connected landscape and enhance our capability through partnership working at all scales. And so it says parts of the landscape are well connected, but this connectivity is not consistent. And so there is the scope to more fully exploit our collective potential. Where is that scope and how do we foster that connectivity? Fiona, you're nodding. Yeah, that's something we've given a lot of thought to at the university. And uh, we've started to organise ourselves around sort of grand challenges and key themes. And we've just dis um, launching three key interdisciplinary themes around climate, um, health and creative. And those link into the areas that are important to us as a region. So we've got coastal communities and health inequalities to address there. We've obviously got a, a region that is the breadbasket of, of the UK, as it's sometimes called. So that sort of food and health links is really, really important as well. Obviously, we've got climate change, coastal erosion, the impact of climate on what we can grow and in the future. And then there's the creativity. So we've got um, a hugely creative campus famous for creative writing, but actually the lots of creative disciplines. And we need creativity to solve some of those big challenges we've got ahead around climate, around health, and all sorts of other um, interesting topics. And what's great about being in Norwich and close to Cambridge and London and so on, is that we do get to know each other. So like this morning, we all met and, and most of us knew each other or knew somebody who knew somebody. And it's really easy to, to connect, actually. If you compare the geography to the US, I mean, hopping on a train from Norwich to Cambridge is nothing. That would be like getting from one side of something. Yeah. Going east to west Massachusetts, it's really hard. Yeah, it's really hard to do. So, and, and actually, so those clusters are there. They might be a little bit nascent in some areas, but actually there's ones that are developing quite fast as well. And you know, people like Belinda leading the charge on bringing people together and. Yeah, so I, th I think there's lots of opportunity. I think it's happening already, but I think there's more we could do. And I think actually we could be a showcase for UKRI in terms of what a region can do and how it can bring together a university, research organisations, business clusters, local government, central government and so on. And so I think we've got all the ingredients. Yeah. We've baked some of them, but let's bake some more. Yeah. And one, there's, a, there's a guy called John Higgs. He's a sort of a historian and, and writer. And there's a book called Stranger Than We Can Imagine. And in that book, he talks about um, the 20th century and um, how it evolved and the sort of strange things that happened. And 
one of the things he talks about there, which I think is a really interesting concept, and I think he's right, is he talks about the future. And he says the future already exists. It's just that it happens sporadically in pockets. So you have to identify the new ways of working and the new opportunities and bring it to your place. And I was reminded of that this week when I talked to David Dent um, about the... um, way that he works and he's writing a book about this at the moment helping sectors to improve productivity by looking at other sectors and the ways that they work and the challenges and how they've met them and then bringing that to, and that's I don't know if you want to say anything about that Fiona say, well, who David in, is in that um, quote was unique combinations and actually I think that's what we can do really well is break down those barriers between different disciplines different expertise different sectors and yes David Dent's been, been great he's our entrepreneur in residence and he's helped to break down some of those barriers between academia and business so we don't always speak the same language we don't always work on the same time scale so sometimes we need a little bit of interpretation to enable those boundaries to be broken and those unique combinations to emerge. But I'm just really excited about those spaces in between. So if you think about climate and health, you know, they need to be talking to each other, people in those disciplines, in those sectors, because they're going to interact what we can grow, um, how, how we stay healthy in a changing world. All of those things are really important. We won't solve them from within a single sector or discipline. I don't think you need to. I think really, really, we were talking about this earlier, but the fuel for all of this to make it happen is access to capital. And there's even in today's climate, uh, there is still access to capital. And I think you guys are working to allow these entrepreneurs, allow these academics to find that and put put it together and then drive it forward, help them through the process of, 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 of creating sustainable businesses that will impact health, impact climate, impact agri-tech. So I think that's really particularly exciting. That was one of kind of my big takeaways of the day on the, on the train journey. Yeah. For me as well, I think one of the big game changers would be if we properly engage with young people. So I do think that when we sit here today and when we're thinking about the things we've got on our desk and the stuff we did during the week, it, it, in a way it could be seen, and I, I freely admit this, is quite self-serving. You're sorting out your own job, your own career, and you're doing things that are going to help you and the objectives that you've got and the business strategy that you've signed up to. And that's all good, and we have to do that um, to get paid and, and get, get that tick that we need that we're doing the job we've been asked to do but I do think we need to think about the future we need to think about young people in school today what information they need and how we can help them to access all the great jobs and you know a lot of business people when you talk to them and I was at the Norfolk Limited uh, event on Tuesday um, there was a little sort of straw poll and they said um, what what worries you the most and it's always skills right at the top of the agenda skills 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 you said one of the things I said and point I made was, um, I always do, is that um, if you haven't got 50% uh, women at all levels in your um, company, then there are barriers to entry. And if you go to a school and look at an assembly hall, you see how many females there are. It's 50% uh, um, in, in every class, pretty much. And so uh, why wouldn't you, in any industry, want all the best young people that are in school today to want to come and work with you? So I do think that um, as well as thinking about today and sharing good practice and, and, and connecting the dots, we do need to think how do we promote um, all of the industry and, and the uh, career opportunities to young people and they're the future.
interesting that you say that. I'm in my own plug here. So IQHQ, we're over 50% women in our organization and 54% is women and minorities. So uh, we kind of look at ourselves as a, a industry leader uh, for the sector. And so I do hope that we influence other organizations to push that because to be honest, a woman's brain is just as smart as a man's brain, if not, if not even, even, even better. So I think yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it makes sense to, to do that. And, I'm well, and we've got great diversity at Norwich Research Park. I think it's 18 European uh, countries and 41 globe, you know, worldwide countries uh, are represented on the park in the workforce, people in all levels of, of, of job yeah, attracted. Amazing. And I, I was told recently that um, if you're into plant genetics and plant science, then John Innes Centre would be uh, on your bucket list of places to work in the, in your career. So there's, there's you know, some exciting... And we want to encourage our uh, young workforce to want to come and work with those people at Norwich Research Park. I think there's also a diversity piece that underpins the technology as well in that we need the data that's feeding the algorithms that is going to be informing a lot of the artificial intelligence that we're seeing across all of the sectors, whether it's drug discovery, whether it's climate change modelling, whether it's new ag chem for agritech, whether it's the robots that are going to be managing so much of our lives. We need those to be trained using a robust and representative data set, not just, uh, dare I say it, uh, one, one gender, uh, one ethnicity ethnicity, uh, making sure that we actually have, have a, a future proof for the diversity that we want to embrace. I'm just really, really pleased uh, Doug's here because I think one of the things, and you may have covered this, and forgive me, I'm sort of jumping in halfway, was uh, that fascinating uh, a book by an, uh, an American economist um, whose name sadly escapes me, but she's following uh, a T-shirt, all the economies it encounters along the way, and it was talking about the uh, American cotton industry yep. in Texas and how there's a virtuous circle has developed between the, uh, the, the cotton industry, its, its uh, associations, the local, uh, I think Texas Tech, the, the, the the local university, etc., 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 and they've, they've they've kind of all feeding into to, to really sort of kick up a gear on the processes and drive that innovation. And we've got. I'm glad you're here, Belinda, because we've got that being formed again with food and agritech at the Food Enterprise Park. The UEA is a, a, a key part of that. How do we both grow those virtuous circles? Do you think, and, and look to establish new ones? It's already starting to happen in certain businesses are now starting to really embrace that circular economy, not just because the optics are great uh, on it, but also because it's a proper cost saving. And increasingly, I think any businesses that are looking to gain investment has got to have that ESG, circular economy, reducing it. Exa exactly. And I think it's one thing of the many lessons we've learned from the pandemic, seeing some empty supermarket shelves really brought home the need to ensure that these very complex supply chains are starting to be much more efficient and resilient and robust. How one does that, I think there's a lot of minds greater than mine doing that, but it's certainly clear that increased awareness enablers to ensure and support the collaborations have certainly got to be two of the great foundations to make that happen. Will also drive that. So if you, if the end user it wants to buy local and drives that, well then it'll force it'll force the change. So I think educating the end user to, I have two types of oranges here, or I got apples and oranges. Well, the apples are local. The oranges are from Spain. Well, this was just driven down the road. So I want to buy these. And so that that that, that kind of demand, whatever it is, whether it's a T-shirt, whether it's it's fruit or or, or whatever, uh, I think is is important. Do you have a thoughts on that, Fiona? Oh, we had touched on some of this. I think it's just about bringing together those different sectors and businesses and letting those ideas collide a little bit. And I, 
you know, we've got 17,000 students on our campus. They're young. They're full of bright ideas. We need to we need to harness them at this point where, where they're open to lots of new ideas. And in fact, they're driving us to be better and to think differently all of the time. And I think we just need to make sure we connect those um, students in with the businesses through internships, projects. But um, somebody also mentioned funding and just making sure we have mechanisms. So sometimes we find it hard to collaborate, but actually very, very small amounts of pump priming funds or initiatives or events can really help to, to catalyze and bring people together. So we need to make sure we have got some of that pump priming um, mechanisms. We've talked a, bit, a little bit about the Ceres project. Um, we've, we have projects where we can have innovation vouchers to enable academics to work with businesses. Um, and it just, just £5,000 can make a huge difference to what people can do together. So it doesn't have to be huge investment, although sometimes that really helps as well. But how can we creatively use relatively small amounts of pump priming networking opportunities to bring together and explore these new ideas and think about supply chains differently, think about sectors differently, think about how technology can can make a difference in different different ways, how ideas of circular economy, how, how do they work in different contexts? I think one of the key things that, that's come out this morning is what an exciting opportunity there is between Cambridge and Norwich and how working in partnership, again, I've, I've likened it to a rope where there are lots of individual projects with the UEA, SETI, being, you know, Smart Enabling Technologies Institute being a really good example where the, those links are there, but it's spinning them all together into something a bit more, a lot more durable and a lot stronger and a better narrative that says to the world, you know, come and look at us. What, Mike, you, what absolutely. You saying one of the things we were talking about earlier is that this isn't just talk. Mm. The fact that we're physically on a train together when we've got we've had a busy week, all of us, you know, and there's nothing. But we want to come and be together and do this because, as well as having a good chat and talking about strategies, we want to take action and make these things happen. So, um, you know, talking about the concepts and the analogies and the ways that we worked you know, in, in our different locations, all good, but then we will take action to work together and, and, and it's a physical process. And I think, um, you know, there's so many key attributes in Cambridge, it's a well understood market. There's the whole thing that's going on with Norwich with Agritech and with Norwich Research Park, the university is so much there going on and, it, and that we want to promote and, and raise awareness of. But it, and, unless you then take action and do stuff together, it's a bit meaningless. And that's the bit I'm really excited by because I know the people that are sitting around this table here, you know, Fiona and Doug and Belinda are all like me. They're like, yes, you know, we want to do good stuff together because it's our time to do that and take some action. And then that will inspire the people that will come after us. And I think we all want to look back and think, in this moment, we knew that we had some really good stuff that we were already doing, loads of good experience, and now we're going to collaborate in different ways. And it doesn't need to be insurmountable, it's just practical steps. Okay, well, with that, we've, we've got to, we've got to pack the equipment away so we can all bundle off the train at Cambridge and enjoy the Carter Jonas reception. But Rosbird AIP, Norwich Research Park, Belinda Clark, Agritech E, Fiona Lettis for the University of Anglia, Doug Cuff from IQHQ, thank you ever so much for, 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 for sticking with it while I was down, down there. But Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. My thanks go to Roz, Fiona, Belinda and Doug. And to all the panellists you've heard from in the last two weeks. And to everyone who joined us on the train. 
at the same time this episode drops, I've also put out on the Eastern Promise podcast feed a three-in-one collector's special edition, where you can listen to all three panels back-to-back. The event was such a success. Plans are already underway for a bigger, brighter and bolder repeat this coming spring. And also a trip highlighting the links between Cambridge and Ipswich. Keep listening for more information or keep your eyes on my LinkedIn account. That is me, Mike Rigby, host and executive producer of Eastern Promise. It's easy to find. If you come across a Mike Rigby who seems impressive and accomplished, it's not me. 